I want to see what that dad bot can do out there. Not buying your banjos around the campfire. Shove them up your ass. It is football and other F words. And you know what week it is. It's Thanksgiving week. Hopefully you're looking forward to some food that's going to make do and make over for the fact that the Titans just chose the absolute best and worst possible game to throw it all down the toilet. I'm your host, Michael Gillum. I am joined as always by Zach Lyons. We appreciate you tuning in as well. Zach, before we discuss the Titans, though, I've got to ask you, what is the Saints obsession with Taysom Hill? And I've got to go down this rabbit hole with you because before I went to bed last night, like an old man at like eight o'clock, uh, I found this Reddit thread talking about Taysom Hill and I can't get over it. Taysom Hill signed a unique four, four year hybrid contract extension worth anywhere between 40 million and 95 million, depending on how much of a position he plays and includes a $22.5 million guarantee sources tell ESPN. That's according to Adam Schefter. Why? What in the world? Why? I mean, it's it's like if if I went to Mike Herndon and paid him fifty five million dollars to go play football. That's what I feel like they're doing. Yes. paying one of us because it's a joke, right? Like it has to be a long con. This is to set up something down the road where Sean Payton ends up. It, we all find out that. Taysom Hill has somehow split this money with Sean Payton after they both retire. Like in 20 years, this is going to be a fabled story of Taysom Hill and Sean Payton have came to come together and concocted this plan and to talk about Taysom Hill being one of the best NFL players. He can play linebacker. He can play running back. He's the fastest player in the league and the strongest player in the league. And they've really just split this money. That's what I think. I think him and Sean Payton have split this money down the half. They have a handshake or contract later on down the road. They both retire and they just split this money evenly. In seven games this year, he has 20 rushes, 104 yards, three touchdowns and 11 first downs, four receptions on six targets, 42 yards, four first downs, seven completions on eight attempts, 56 yards, one interception and five first downs. And he's getting another 22 million guaranteed out of that. Reddit is convinced that Taysom Hill is Sean Payton's illegitimate son, and half the thread is convinced that's the case. Otherwise, th- th- there is some Saints fans that are just dead up like, if you knew how corrupt this state was with good old boy deals, it would make sense to you. There's, I just don't see anyone that takes this seriously. I just don't. I, I, it's so comical. I don't know what else to do. Someone said that his uh, agent is a first round ballot hall of famer now (laughs) yeah i mean i i i just don't get it i don't i don't understand why the saints ownership and staff is also willing to give him money like i can understand sean payton i guess because sean payton has this infatuation that he's the next steve young apparently but why as a staff are you so willing to believe this it's it's ridiculous i I just couldn't believe it. I thought it was a fake Adam Schefter account. I thought maybe it was an old tweet from his deal when he got the deal like a couple of years ago. So I, I took, I had to read it, the tweet, two or three times before I actually sent in the chat because I wanted to make sure it was a real tweet. I was not yeah. convinced at, at yeah. first glance it was real. <laughs> I hope it's Sean Payton with a bunch of burner phones calling the GM in making different voices like he's other people around the NFL going, tell us about that Taysom Hill. Will you trade him? <laughs> it's just, it's just so you can have an excuse to be like, we got to wrap this up right now, dude. We got to keep him. Well, that, it's not out of the realm of possibility. I mean, maybe not the voices, but it's not out of the realm of possibility that Sean Payton is in his uh, GM's ear saying that, hey, I, I've got a lot of people in coaching circles that really want Taysom Hill. We better lock him up because the Raiders – Back in 2016-2017, did that to their GM and their ownership group to oust Bill Musgrave from the OC and put in Todd Downing. That's how Todd Downing got the job. They all lied. The staff lied to the GM and everything about Todd Downing getting all these calls, like he's going to be the next big thing. I just don't know. It's incredible. I, 
I couldn't help but derail the beginning of the podcast with that because I just, I had to start off with something that was kind of funny because unfortunately for the next 20 or 30 minutes, we're probably not going to discuss a lot of funny stuff. Um, the Tennessee Titans did, unfortunately, what I was starting to fear in the back of my head by the time that game kicked off might actually come to reality. Because, it, and, and it, again, this is just like some sort of trying to be, who was the lady that was on TV that was the psychic for the longest time of the night? Miss Cleo. Miss Cleo. I started to have this like Miss Cleo moment right as the game kicked off of like, oh, man, shitty weather. Most of the team is injured. Something about this doesn't feel right. And you just kind of, you just kind of felt from by the time the Texans went up, like, what were they up? Like 12 to nothing at one point that what the fuck is happening here? Nothing, nothing feels right. I mean, like, it wasn't just like, this didn't feel like the Jets game where they were kind of letting them hang in it. Even though if you look at the Titans on offense, the ridiculous amount of yards they put up, the Titans just didn't never really feel like they were seriously in this game. Um, we have a lot of problems to go over first, but let's start with Ryan Tannehill. The man threw four interceptions, realistically, probably could have thrown six. Um, this is a bad game. And this is, of course, we're going to get to fan reaction in a moment, but <clears throat> this is one of those games where you look at as a quarterback and you think, holy shit, man, you can't have those games. But people have bad days at work. So it's like, is this a problem that Tannehill, you think you're going to have to, you know, he's going to have to address or do you just have a shitty day and it's going to get better? It, it was a shitty day. I mean, it was probably, um, it was definitely his worst game as a Titan. Now, l- let me say this. It was the weirdest game for the offense I've ever seen because you're talking about a team that was winning snaps on both sides of the ball probably 85% to 90% of the time it was only the only problem were these interceptions were the turnovers right there wasn't any other glaring issue i mean you're talking about a team in the titans that in the second half the texans had eight drives for 52 yards the titans had seven drives in the second half 218 yards They had 421 yards of offense versus the Texans who had 197 yards of total offense. There is no, if I would have just told you that they, that they had in the second half, almost trip, almost double the yards or more than doubled the yards of the Texans in the second half, I, you would have thought that they would have won this game, but you're talking about it going punt interception punt turnover on downs into the half touchdown turnover on downs interception touchdown interception interception and into the game that is that is not a good day for anybody and one of the problems is it was ryan Tannehill. um you know i tweeted tweeted Maybe prematurely, but he didn't really get the benefit of the doubt for me at the time that I tweeted it. I tweeted that all three of his interceptions, not the fourth interception, because that hadn't happened yet, were on Ryan Tannehill. Now, decision-making was atrocious by Ryan Tannehill, and he should have had more interceptions because you're talking about a player that had seven turnover-worthy plays, which basically are all on him. He had seven plays that could have been turnover. Now, some of them did were turnovers, but that was the most he's had in a game this season because every other game, except for like one or two, he's only had one. So we're talking about for whatever reason, he had six more than his average turn turnover worthy plays in one game. That is not a good day. And look, I get it. There, there is a lot of other stuff going on, and and it just wasn't his day, and it wasn't this team's day. But at the the reason the Tennessee Titans lost is because he could not protect the football to save his life. Now, whether that is because he was pressing, whether that's because it was the weather, whatever, it's his decision making. It's his choice to go to a certain player in certain moments. And 
he did scan the field and he chose to go that way to either Dez or whoever he was throwing to, especially when Nick Westbrook Akine was having a pretty good, easy time getting open and find and catching the ball. So I get it. Injuries happen. It happens all around the league. And for people who are saying, well, no, no, no quarterback could ever win a game like that. Uh, I do I protest that notion. Other, other, all you had to do was only throw two interceptions and you could have won that game. Yeah. Hell, you maybe could only had to throw three interceptions and not fumble and won that game. It's ridiculous how bad of a day he had, but it's not over. Like, it's not over for this team. It's not over for Ryan Tannehill. I'm not worried about this team and I'm not worried about him at all as a, as the future and the season goes on. Right. And it's, as you put it, two interceptions, you might be able to overcome that four picks and the way that his wide receiver core, including Dez, uh, Fitzpatrick played, you, you know, those, those are hard. That's a lot to overcome. That That's a, that's a pretty insurmountable, you know, pile of trash uh, to try to be able to get over when, when you're having that kind of day. I, again, it, it's like you said, it's one game. The Titans were overdue, unfortunately, for kind of a completely piss the bed game. I I, I, I kind of hate saying that because it kind of goes along the lines of, oh, it's a trap game or, oh, it's a game that they're looking ahead because I don't think a lot of NFL teams actually do that. I think a trap game is just a good team having a bad day. I think looking ahead is not something a lot of NFL teams do. <clears throat> Although, And it's not what this team Titans, does. Although, although if you're if you're the Titans, God, how hard are you looking at that bye week after the Patriots? Which we'll, we'll get to in a bit. But um, let's talk about Des Fitzpatrick. I, there's that shot that has been shared all over Twitter now of Tannehill is having a pretty animated conversation with Fitzpatrick um, late in the game. I mean, it's it's not animated let's let's not overblow what if it's not like arms are flailing and he's yelling well, that's he's why going I'm, over that's there and talking very calmly that's why i'm saying animated because yeah. people are making it out like well he was in his ass this is the first time i've ever seen tan he'll really bitch out a wide receiver like that that's not bitching i saw an animated conversation by a quarterback in a stadium that's still kind of relatively loud and he's making hand gestures probably because of the volume very muted, noise. very muted right. hand gestures. Like to me, right. it was just like he was going over there to explain to a, a child what he needs to be doing. Right. So that, that's I agree with you. That, that's why I wanted to use that choice of language, because <clears throat> this notion on Twitter that he was like just furious. I mean, they made it sound like he picked up Des Fitzpatrick and threw him into the first row. But but Fitzpatrick, again, you know, here's a guy, a fourth round pick. It's upon the practice squad by the grace of Jesus. Three for 35 yards and one, you know, one touchdown. And then after Fitzpatrick, or I'm sorry, after Tannehill grants him that touchdown, he runs the wrong route. And it's just like, it, I made the joke that, <clears throat> excuse me, Tannehill probably went over there to tell him, be like, that's why you're on the practice squad. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> but it's just, it's, it's frustrating to see because these are games. If you're dead Fitzpatrick, you can't have games to where you score big, the team ends up losing, and some of the loss is going to come a little bit on your shoulders because you're running wrong routes, and you're a fourth-round pick, and you'd be given a second chance with a team and John Robinson that is not big on giving people second chances. I just, I know there's that guy who releases those videos on Twitter about he's like a coach every week and he's talking to the defense is all the moments too big. I'm pissing down my leg. That's what I keep thinking about here. It's like, dude, Fitzpatrick is the moment too big. Are you pissing down your leg? People just going to run by you. What are we doing here, buddy? Well, you know, you're in a four down territory with, with the Tennessee Titans and you know, the, the deep, the, the interception that was in the end zone where Des had two people on him and he ran the wrong route is still a bad low, that's still a bad decision. That's a bad choice by Ryan Tannehill to throw that ball to Des Fitzpatrick when there are other players open. And I know that on one of them, I think NWI was open on one and Hillard was open on the other, or I may have that backwards and I may have the players wrong, but there were players on both interceptions that were open. 
and that play that was the shot in the end zone was a first down play. And then the other one was a third down play. So even if you had the dump off and you didn't get the first down on third down, you're already in fourth down territory and you, you were just in a much better position to be able to do something other than throw to Des Fitzpatrick. Now, Des Fitzpatrick's guy run the right routes, but this is also a player that was on the practice squad who should have never been drafted in the fourth round and who should have probably been an undrafted free agent. Like we've said on this podcast numerous times that he was a overdrafted, overhyped bust. And look, if he get he played 64 snaps this week, why? Why did he play the most snaps over wide receiver outside of injury? But it's ridiculous that he played more snaps than NWI. It doesn't make sense to me that he somehow amassed 64 snaps. He's not a better run blocker than NWI. He doesn't know the playbook as good as NWI. He's not as reliable as NWI. It's 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 crazy. And props to Joe Rexroad. NWI looked amazing, and he has just as many 100-yard receiving games as Julio Jones. Just saying, wide yeah. receiver two. <laughs> yeah. But – I, I don't I guess my whole my whole issue with this Des Fitzpatrick Ryan Tannehill thing is like, what did you expect? What did you expect from Des Fitzpatrick? Why did you constantly target him when you didn't have to? And why is this guy, if this is a next man up mentality and he was called up last week? So Des Fitzpatrick was in the game last week. Why is he not better prepared to be in the game for 64 snaps than what he was? This, to me, is a little bit of a coaching issue, too. While, yes, Dez has to go out there and do what he needs to do and not be a little pansy boy and get pushed off his routes or not be able to be physical, but he's got to be better prepared. I don't know why he wasn't better prepared and why, he does, why they're calling plays that he obviously doesn't know the correct route to do. And then on top of that, I don't know why Ryan, Ryan Tannehill's going towards him in those two situations where he's had two defensive players on him on both of them. There were two, there were two defensive players on the second Des interception, the third interception overall. First off, Desmond King was in that spot. Even if Des ran the right route, he was in a spot to at least either get the interception or pass up the pass, break up the play anyway. Yeah. And there was another Texans player right behind him. So like Des wasn't going anywhere. So I don't know why that was after scanning the field, instead of taking the dump off, you go over that way, take the easy pass. You go to Des, especially after that you already threw an interception because he ran the wrong route. Like, I don't, I don't get that decision-making process. I understand that you can only work with what you got. And at that point, that's all they had. I, I, I just don't get it. I don't get, this staff's obsession with Des Fitzpatrick. I don't get why the fan base believed him uh, two weeks ago when they called him up saying, oh, he's been so good. He showed us everything that he needs to show us and everything you want from a practice squad player. And everybody starts, you know, sucking at the teat of Mike Vrabel and all this stuff, thinking that, oh, if Mike Vrabel says it, if this staff says it's got to be true, let's just ignore that he was never good to begin with. (laughs) Let's just ignore that. And sure enough, here you go. Well, you had a good tweet, um, and I believe it was on Monday. What is today? Yeah, so it was on Monday about um, percentage of play-action plays. That combined with the Des Fitzpatrick decision, it, that's what kind of worries me with this team and what we were we were probably overly harsh with them about in the off season and then leading into the first game where, you know, obviously they very publicly took a, a, a dump against the Cardinals. Um, but I'll, I'll let you go through the tweet and break it down, but it's like, it's, it's, it concerns me that you get in these patterns, like you said, of <clears throat> you're continually going to Des Fitzpatrick if you're Tannehill. Is that something that in practice you all went through and it looked good and, and you're just going to keep doing it? I, I, I'm not sitting here saying Tanya Wells being pressured to do that, but it's like, I, I just don't understand the mentality sometime with the Titans in a game to continue to do something that's not working. And, and I think this rolls into your, your tweet about play action, because there are in the three notable losses that the Titans have had, they haven't run play action a lot. Yeah. The here's the thing about, 
this team, which I think is what this fan base gets so frustrated over, but also some people don't don't get it. Oftentimes when they lose a game, it's because they got away from something that was working. Yeah. And this in particular to me was involving the running backs in the passing game and running the ball. This was the best running game that they've had since Derrick Henry has gone down. And I get it. Adrian Peterson ripped off a couple big chunk plays. I don't think that I think with Hillard and Foreman, I don't see any reason why you did other plays with, with Adrian Peterson, especially with Hillard having a great game. Um, and then Hillard was getting open in the passing game. And I don't, I don't understand why they went away from that. And to get into the play action, another thing you cannot get away from is play action passes. Listen, more often than not play action passing works, play action just works. And if you look at the data, it's pretty clear that this team always wins when at least right now it's over 21%. Now, listen, I think the safe bet is to make sure that 30% of your pass play should be play action because I, that is the true, the true data. That's what it tells you because the one game that was under 30% that they won, which was week 10 versus Saints, 23.3%, Brian Tannehill had to be perfect for that to be the, for that data point yeah. to, to end up a win. He had to go seven for seven, six, seven yards. I mean, like he was dead on perfect in play action. And if you want to give yourself some leeway, you got to call at least 30% of your pass plays be play action. And look, I, I think it's an old school mentality for, for the last five or six years, basically all the data says does not matter who is in the play, who's, who is your wide receivers, who's your running back, who's your quarterback. Play action more often than not works. Uh, it, it buys you a little bit of time. The linebackers you know, will push up and pause a little bit, and that's what you want. You're trying to get a few of the defensive players to pause so you guys can, your guys can run around and get open. right? If a linebacker has to pause, then maybe something over the middle is open, which is where Tannehill typically wants to go is a play action pass in the middle. If you're not doing that and giving your quarterback the best chance and rolling him out, I don't even think Ryan Tannehill did one designed pass rollout, which is where his bread and butter is. What are you doing? I don't understand why they fight this stuff. If if everybody in America, except for your offensive coordinator and your coaching staff, knows what works for this team, why don't you? And why do you fight it? Why not just lean into it, especially when you see something working and unfolding right before you in the eyes? Like right before your eyes, you're seeing that the running game is working. The passes to the running backs are working. You don't have your star wide receiver and Nick Westbrook's working. I mean, there's it's it's you're winning the plays. Why go away from it? I just don't under I don't understand the logic of this team sometimes, especially in losses where they know something's not working or something is working and they just do the opposite. And and again, it's not to say that having 30, you know, 30% or above in play action would have guaranteed a win with four turnovers, right? But it, I agree with you to where it's frustrating to see like there's a couple of moments where Dontrell Hillard good runs he was doing well in the receiving game and then all of a sudden it just disappears for a while we see pass after pass that you know either goes to receivers that are running the wrong routes or whatever um which by the way can we talk about anthony ferkser this podcast was such a pro ferkser ferkser for pro bowl ferkser for president we had the man on the podcast we were a huge pro ferkser podcast I am very anti-Ferkser right now. What is with this man? He feel like I feel like every time they throw it to him, he's got bricks for hands. I, I don't know if he's battling through an injury or or what, but he is just not the Ferkser that you even saw last year. He's it's just he's he's an undrafted free agent tight end. I mean, him, Jeff Swain, Michael Pruitt, Tommy Hudson, 
they're all the same generic white guy that you could see walking down the street. I mean, like at this point, like they're all just generic, you know, they're, they're basically John Smith is who they are. They're all John Smith. It's just the, he's like the Burger King of fast food choices where you're like, Oh, okay. It's now, there. The, you know who they are? They're Hardee's and Carl's Jr. Cause it doesn't matter which one you go to. You're getting the same food. It really is. And I just think Hardy's is absolutely disgusting. Um, I, I'm sorry. I don't want to go down that route, but you just had multiple things in this game that were just very, very frustrating. I'm we're going to get to the defense in a minute because obviously that was kind of another piece of it. But um, one of the things I keep seeing on Twitter from this fan base, which of course we know is completely rational. Yeah. Um, did the offensive line have a bad game or not? Because statistically yes yes statistically yes but you know ryan Tannehill had time in the pocket and it looked like that they they kept the pressure off of him for the most part pretty well i mean there were a few moments that he was still being pressured but they were generating some gaps for hiller to run through and they kept Tannehill off the ground for the most part when Tannehill didn't end up off the ground on the ground on his own behalf because he's trying to chase down an interception he just threw. So I guess I'll throw that at you. Do, do you think they had a good game? I mean, when I was watching it live, I thought they played well. Now here, Roger Saffold just had his worst game, but when you really look at it, you're talking about, he was only pressured on like 12.5% of his throws, which is I'm looking at it tied for is the fourth least of the season. I mean, to me, I, I don't... To me, it just didn't look like it was that bad. And now, listen, stats tell otherwise and, and, and everything, and sometimes, you know, you can't box score scout. And to me, I thought it was a better game than... I thought they had a pretty good run game for the most part, a run blocking game. I thought they had a pretty good pass blocking game. You know, I put up the stats for this game and put up their pressure percentage. And a uh, friend of, to the podcast, listener, you know, Trace Wynn, um, he said, if these numbers are right, then Saffold, Jones, and Luana are a massive waste on the payroll. Oh, look, Saffold and Jones had one bad game, and it's by far Saffold's worst game ever. Yeah, but they're they're not a massive waste on the payroll. You know, I can argue that Lawan is probably overpaid, and I don't know if he'll be on the team next season because of his contract, unless he redoes it. But I, I can't really argue with you there. But I'll go to bat for the payments of Saffold and Jones, and I'll, I'll I'll pay Jones whatever he's got for the next two years. You know, whatever it takes to keep him around for the next two years, because right now. This this offensive line has a a dim outlook after this year. I mean, you're talking about an overpaid Lawan, who probably won't be on the team. So there's a left tackle. Questenberry, is he really the answer at right tackle? I mean, he seems to be an NFL starting right tackle, but you know, you probably eventually want to upgrade that. Saffold is coming near the end of his career because of his age and his injuries starting to pile up on him. Ben Jones is old too. And then you also have Nate Davis, who has totally regressed. So the lone bright spot on this offensive line for the future is Aaron Brewer, who's an undrafted free agent. Do you just go for undrafted free agents because you can't really pick out in the draft a really good uh, offensive lineman unless they just fall into your lap like Jack Conklin? I mean, give me a break here. This offensive line is, is not great. It's good maybe average, maybe a little bit above average, you know, uh, across the league. But it's prospects going forward, man, it's a dim outlook. Like, it, it's it's not a fun thing to think about the future. That's why I try not to do it. I try to just live in the here and the now. But there there is a real offensive line issue that the this Tennessee Titans uh, front office is going to have to figure out and fix in this next year and a half. You know, it's funny in life, especially by the time you, you get into your thirties and whatever, you want to start to think about like a five-year plan or maybe even a 10-year plan, right? The NFL is like the opposite as a fan. You almost have to just think about the now because most futures in the NFL for teams are depressing. 
If you're in a Super Bowl window, that window is closing quickly. If you're not in a Super Bowl window, there doesn't seem to be a lot <laughs> to look forward to in life. So you're exactly right. Titans fans, you need to focus on the Patriots right now. Don't focus on a lot of what Zach just said. That was very good information. Um, <clears throat> the running back room is that's such a good like tweet. <laughs> the running back room is Blake. <laughs> Because I don't really, I, I don't know. I just, I feel like, let me, let me start with Adrian Peterson. Um, he's kind of doing exactly what I expect him to do. I just really didn't think this man was going to come in and do a lot. Um, he just feels like he's on the roster, almost like when you're going through your fantasy football team at the end of the year and you didn't make the playoffs and you're like, oh yeah, I forgot I've got four running backs in my team and this guy's been sitting on the bench. Um I mean, is Peterson doing what you thought he would do? Do you feel like he's contributing to the game in a in any kind of meaningful way? I, I mean, he was two for four in receiving, you know, two receptions, four yards, uh, nine carries, 40 yards. Uh, it technically led the the room in rushing, but I don't know. What, what do you think on Peterson? I, I think it's a fun experiment. I think you need to keep him on the roster until Henry is healthy or McNichols, I guess, is healthy. And because I think he's expendable. Like, I hate to say that about Adrian Peterson, but I'd rather do, I'd rather this team have McNichols, Hillard, and Foreman than anything that involves Adrian Peterson. And, and I was a big, I was very excited that they ended up signing him, but he's every bit of a 36 year old running back and he looks every bit of it and sure he's going to get you a little you know little plays here and there but i i just don't think that there's i think hillard mcnichols and foreman give you more in all three phases of the game of a, of a running backs game than adrian peterson gives you currently adrian peterson gives you the veteran you, you know he's going to do what he has to do and he's going to run hard for you and I said this a couple of weeks ago, he's going to give it his all. But right now, his all is just not good enough for this team on a consistent basis. And, and I, I did put like, that tweet out, by the way. Good. Yeah, because it's, it's it really is. It's like it's kind of a hard question to ask because you're, my first reaction when I think about this running room is, God, we just need Derrick Henry back. I mean, of course, that's that's the obvious answer. But they're kind of producing. It's not as bad as I thought it was going to be, honestly, as, right. as a whole, as, as a unit with, especially when you realize like no McWeapon right now, no, you know, Henry is unavailable for until further notice. So they've done a little better than I expected. Peterson has done about what I've expected, but you're right. It's, it's harsh to say, but he's expendable because that's not a piece you're expecting to be around after this year. I mean, not at all, but yet some of these guys on our roster, I mean, Hillard, I'd like to see him around for a little bit, you know, because he seems to be kind of progressing with his own right and doing well. McWeapon, you want to keep around Henry for obvious reasons. So it, they've done better than I expected, I guess. And so I, it's hard for me to have complaints about what they're doing because what they're being asked to do, they're performing for the most part and, and getting yardage and at least making the run game competent to where it's not a joke. Every time they put a running back out on the field, they're actually gaining positive yardage and, and gashing teams a little bit with it. Yeah. I, I think the running back room is good enough and that's all you need. You don't need hall of fame, Derrick Henry. It's good enough to win you games and not kill you. You just have to commit to one or two running backs instead of doing this thing where you're getting to, you're, you're putting in Adrian Peterson for a few plays, and then he's not really doing that great. So you put in Hillard, then Hillard starts doing good. Oh, well, here's Adrian Peterson back again. Can I interest you in Adrian Peterson? And then Adrian Peterson runs off a couple of runs. And then you put in Hillard. Like, nobody can get into a rhythm. And the, the closest thing you got was Hillard getting into a rhythm, and then you just continued to, you know, ignore it. You, if you're going to be a running team and you don't want to throw it, 50 yards uh, or 50 times a game, which they have gone on the record of saying that a lot, then you have to commit to at least one of the running backs more than what they're doing. And I think if, if I'm looking, if I could go back in time, you should be able to just start Hitler and have him and Foreman be the guys for that game. 
it's a Foreman Texans revenge game, and you couldn't even give him the ball more or whatever. Like I, I don't. Right. Again, I know revenge games probably don't play into it, but you know that Foreman's probably running a little bit harder than he normally does just because it's against the Texans. So I don't under, I just don't understand the infatuation with trying to even get Adrian Peterson off the ground now that you've seen what Hillard and Foreman are able to do. Until Mick Nichols comes back and is healthy, until Derrick Henry comes back and he's healthy, or both of them come back, you're probably going to have to keep AP on the roster just for injury purposes and let him still get up to speed but right now it's it's a hill for me it's hillard foreman and mcnichols i'm fine with that going forward in in the uh the rest uh before we go forward i want to remind you that uh, 440 sports you know the other pods have got some good content as well um if you're listening for the playoff match on tuesday night uh club and country's got you with a nice preview pod of the Orlando match. If you're listening on Wednesday as well, they're going to have an instant reaction that morning. Um, and also the rest of the podcast for 440 are going to be out Wednesday morning uh, for your travel. You got to be in a car. You got to be in an airplane, the gold standard fringe lame stream club and country. They're all going to have content for you on Wednesday. So definitely check those out um, and share them, share like review and subscribe. Definitely go check those out. So, uh, on the defense, this was one of the more frustrating pieces for me is that I thought the defense held up well for the most part, but at the same time, like no pressure on the quarterback was disappointing to me. I mean, this is a group that, I mean, obviously within our group, we uh, caused quite a mess with the tickle monster stuff and had a good time joking about that, but absolutely no tickle monster performance out of this. I mean, no, no pressure on the quarterback. For a Texas O-line that I really thought that they were going to ball, I thought they were going to have a good time in that backfield and really did not get any kind of pressure on Tyro Taylor at all. So I'm going to start there. I mean, what the hell happened to this front four? <laughs> well, they spent too much time worried about the nickname Tennessee Tickle Monsters and so hyped up on the 300 that they forgot that the Tennessee Tickle Monsters is in infinitely better than the 300 because you don't have to do math to get to it. And let me say this, they all died in the end. And just like the 300, this this defensive line just died in the end. I mean, like, they didn't even show up at all. You're talking about three pressures for Simmons. Autry only had two pressures. Landry had one pressure. Big Merch had one pressure. And zero sacks. No coincidence that after everybody bashed and tried to get rid of the Tennessee Tickle Monster movement and try to force this inane nickname, the 300, which does not roll off the tongue and nobody's ever going to call them the 300 uh, in the national media. You got more people saying Tennessee Tickle Monsters than the 300. Such a stupid nickname. And I love my keep, but that was that. That's a bad, just from a pure nickname perspective, just on the basis of if, if it's a good nickname or not, if you have to do math to get to it and to explain it to everybody, which takes you two minutes to do that, then everybody's going to be checking on their phone if your math is correct. It just doesn't sound right. Like, hey, the 300 got three sacks today. That sounds awful. Like, that does not sound good. It's just on the basis of a nickname, bad nickname. Tennessee Tickle Monsters, however, what they were called that last week are heading into... um, that game with the Saints, and they had a great game versus the Saints, right? They were called the Tennessee Tickle Monsters. It's when the hype video came out. Great game versus the Saints. Yes, Jeffrey Simmons and Danico, and they have their, their little, you know, they sm- smell their faces that, you know, seem like they smelled a fart or whatever, and they, they shed all over it, and then they go out and put out a performance like this. Not saying they don't deserve it. Not deserve it. Just saying that this team... You know, I think you should embrace the Tennessee Tickle Monsters. And as soon as the fan base quit embracing it, and as soon as the players came out and said this, they put up a game like this. Sounds like to me, Tennessee Tickle Monsters is the way to go. And, you know, ridiculous things sometimes lead to championships and wins. And if if they hadn't shed all over the Tennessee Tickle Monsters and fall, fall in line with Bud Dupree and Ola Adaini, just saying they may have gotten a few sacks out of that game. However, I will say this. The defense did its job in the second half. 
First half was not great. And that's yeah. what really worried me about, you know, coming in at halftime. Can this defense find its footing? And it did. And speaking of footing, apparently Chris Jackson over the last week and a half, two weeks is battling, is playing on basically one foot, according to Mike Frabel, who said that unprompted. Big, big deal, I think. And that explains a lot about what Chris Jackson's doing. But I mean, ultimately, this team did really well in coverage. Um, the problem is they didn't generate any of their own turnovers and they didn't generate really any pressures. And when you combine those two things, even though they had a good defensive performance, it really did not help in the first half when they needed it. They really needed to do something in the first half and they didn't. It's not on the defense's shoulders that there is a loss here or anything. And I'm not saying that, but you know, they, you, it just those touchdowns were just some bad plays by that that broke down and it's unfortunate but overall the defense played really well i mean not tennessee tickle monsters level but if you're looking for mediocrity from your defensive line hey use the 300 fun fact though second week in a row no targets were aimed at amani hooker which i think is very telling of how well amani hooker is playing this year and it's flying very much under the radar because kevin byard's getting all the recognition and so so is christian fulton they deserve the recognition amani hooker is playing lights out this year and i'm hoping that the people who vote for all pro are kind of looking his way and i think he may get an all pro vote this year no, and that's the thing. It's like when you go back and, and you're right. I mean, they didn't target him for a reason because he's playing well, and that's a testament to how he's playing. And the defense overall, especially in the second half, they did their job. I mean, the stat line for the Texans is not great. You know, 114 for 24, 170 yards, 107 yards out of Tyro Taylor. I felt like Rex Burkhead was having himself a hell of a game, but he only got 40 yards on the ground. So the Texans were having to get every bit of what they could out of rushing between a con, you know, combination of Burkhead, Taylor, and Johnson. But the Texans' offense did not put up a good performance. I mean, their field position was fantastic because of Tannehill turnovers. So the Texans have, I mean, all 22 of their points were almost gifted to them by good field percentage. And a Titans defense was trying to protect a short end of the field half of the game of which um, they were just completely out of sorts for. So the, t the Titans actually did a better job on defense later in the game when it was pouring down raining. So I, I don't have any concerns out of this group. This unit is not, they played well and they kept it together later in the game when, when the rain and the weather had set in. So I don't have a lot of concerns about this team. It's just, I'm more disappointed that they didn't get more pressure on Taiwan Taylor out of a, out of a pure, comical i wanted to see this team kind of have a good time with against a bad o-line and so that that's why it was a little frustrating to see but hard for me to fault the defense a lot in this loss i mean it clearly rests all on the offensive side of the ball i will say this the the drives that the texans did have when you're looking at it i mean they they had a drive of six minutes and 58 seconds, four minutes and 39 seconds, seven minutes and 24 seconds. Now they had a lot of other drives that were that were great, right? Because the Titans defense played lights out. But those three drives right there, if you could have gotten off the field quicker, now listen, that could have led to Ryan Tannehill throwing eight interceptions if you got him off the field quicker. But those drives were really killer. And to me, the, the biggest head scratcher that I had about this defense, besides um, the obvious Tennessee Tickle Monsters carries a lot of power for this defensive line team. My other big takeaway was their game plan, for whatever reason, they were was the same game plan you would see them employ against the Bills, the Chiefs, really good offenses. I don't understand why they really thought that Tyrod Taylor was going to beat them deep. They, they just seemed to give them everything that the Texans wanted, therefore, on those really long drives. It's like, okay, well, if you want 10, 10 yards, here's 10 yards. If you want a free five yards and, and a short uh, second and down and distance, here, here, you can have it. I don't understand why they didn't put the pressure on the Texans' defense. What about this? these offensive weapons had you so scared that you were playing a little bit of, you know, just, you know, 
dink and let him dink and dunk all day long. I didn't I didn't really understand that game plan. Now again, second half they really shut him down. I just didn't understand that at all from a perspective of game planning for this Texans offense. Okay. We got to talk about fan reaction because this is okay. Predictably this, this Titans fan base comes apart for any reason. I mean, they were coming apart before the game for accusations of racism and wanting to hit each other in the stadium and arrests. I'm not going to get into all that. You go find it on Twitter yourself. It's one of the four main protagonists of this dumbass fan base, but um, I, I'm just going to go through a few reactions that I've seen out there, either on the radio or on Twitter. Uh, Zach, number one, it is time okay. to fire Mike Vrabel. Oh, man. <laughs> I, I can't believe people are still doing that. I, th- I, I still cannot believe that people are still wanting to fire Mike Vrabel when right now he was the leader in the clubhouse to be coach of the year. And let me say something about that. You can't say it's time to talk about and recognize that Coach Vrabel needs to be in the conversation for Coach of the Year. Bros, he's already in the conversation for Coach of the Year. He is the Vegas odds-on winner at the time um, heading into this game to be Coach of the Year. He's in the conversation. You all just need to join the conversations that people are already having. Uh, Number two. you can't fire him. You yeah, idiots, it, 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 you stop fucking fire, stop idiots. Fire, stop firing these people because that's the next one I'm going to. Coordinators need to be fired. I even saw someone on Twitter say they need to find other people within the organization to elevate right now. But it, it's not going to happen. And and listen, the, the, only, the only person, the only coordinator right now that should be under some scrutiny is Todd Downey. However, it, you can't fire your off. There's, he's done nothing really to to get fired over you're talking about a guy that's coordinating with Dontrell Hillard with Adrian Peterson with Deonta Foreman as his running backs and then in the game AJ Brown goes down and he's having to do Des Fitzpatrick Nick Westbrook Akine draw plays and call plays that try to fit their need and listen again the plays weren't really the issue Maybe the play calling and the tendencies were an issue, but the issues were Ryan Tannehill's interceptions. You're talking about a team that put up over 400 yards of offense with those cast of characters that I just mentioned. Over 400 yards of offense. The previous ones were like 260 versus the Saints and under 200 versus the Rams of total offense. And this guy gets over 400 versus the Texans. And all of a sudden, it's like a got to get fired. It's his fault that these players can't stay healthy. It's his fault of all this. Look, I mean, he's not going anywhere, but he does have the, I think, still think that Keith Carter should have been the, the offensive coordinator, obviously. But, you know, Todd Downing, he's no Art Smith. We understand that. He's basically Kmart brand, you know, Art Smith at this point. But Art Smith isn't doing a great job as head coach. He may not be long for the Falcons. You may yeah. be able to get Art Smith back in house. Which would that be awesome? That. I've got listen. I, I'm kind of secretly hoping for that. I I don't wish misery on the man because it really does suck to jump to the next level and not be good. And it's too early to say whether or not he's a a good head coach or not. But that Falcons team is abysmal. And if they're anything like that again next year, Art Smith could be very much back on the market for 2023, looking for a coordinator position to just come back and not try that again. Uh, number three, Zach. Um, this is one of my favorite ones. Um, the the Titans are out. Of, they're, they're done, dude. I mean, they're just cash no. the season in. That's it. That was a horrific loss. They're out. There's no point to even move forward. I heard that, I heard that after the Jets game too. How'd that work out for you, idiot? Uh, I may have been a little guilty of that. <laughs> slightly Listen. although i never i will say i'll defend myself on this yeah i never said their season was over i just said that was an unbelievable indefensible yeah. loss well they, i'm just saying there were other people that did oh say yeah the no they were absolutely even within our group people yeah said the and, and let me say this the tides are going to go on to beat the patriots because that's what they do right exactly. i mean they put a big clunker against a team they shouldn't have and they're going to go up against the patriots who they should have no chance of beatings and they're mike frable's going to have them play that's that I think that's the, my biggest problem with all the the takes that are flowing around is that 
obviously this team was looking ahead and they just are looking, they're just trying to get through to get to the bye week and blah, blah, blah. Mike Frabel is not that kind of coach. Mike Frabel focuses on the weekly game plan. He keeps these guys focused. This is not a team that is looking ahead at the next opponent or the bye week, yeah. and not focused on this game. This team came to play on Sunday. This team offensively and defensively won the majority of their snaps versus their opponent. Turnovers are the only reason this team lost that game on Sunday. And let me tell you from a mathematical playoff statistical format of just how devastating that loss was. And I use devastating as sarcastically as possible because folks, it wasn't that big of a deal. If you're going to lose a game, that's who you lose it to. The Titans going into this game had a 99% chance of making the playoffs, according to the New York Times. Um, uh, they have this interactive playoff scenario that you can go through, and they run like 100,000 some of the simulations on there. If you haven't checked it out, please do, because it's really nice now with six games left in the season. They had a 99% chance of making the playoffs before going into this game. Do you know what they dropped to after that? They have a 99% chance of making yeah. the playoffs. <laughs> they had a 54% chance of having the bye week in the playoffs. Do you know what they dropped to now? They, they have a 53% drop. chance of having I'm, a... I'm reading here, it's 56%. Uh, okay, see... Paul Kaharski, but they actually went up because Paul Kaharski has it up on <clears> his uh, website. The, the loss actually makes it, for whatever mathematical reason, it makes the Patriots game just slightly less important. And it's only from just a... A, a slight percentage point, but let me just put it this way. Let, go ahead and mark down the Patriots as a win. Okay. The Titans still have a 34% chance of having the bye week. That is still the best in the AFC at that point. And the Patriots are coming in hot. And that's probably a loss. You don't want to drop if you have to folks, it is not over. Not only is it not over, this team is still in the best position in the AFC to grab a bye week if they need to. So it's, it's still the best team out. in the AFC. Yes. Uh, I'm sorry. It still is uh, one loss to the Texans and the loss to the Jets. I, I still know that this is the best coach team in the AFC and this is the best, the best team in the AFC. I, I just, Josh Allen has regressed. He's came back down to earth. <clears throat> the bills offense, they they're having players only meetings right now. I mean, they're, that's a sign of disarray. And they did a players only meeting after the Jags game. And now two weeks later, they they got boat raced by the Colts. So that players only meeting isn't going to give them the, the rebound that they needed. And I just, I think you can make an argument that the Colts are rebounding, but let's be honest here. Not every team's going to let Jonathan Taylor go off for five touchdowns. And, and I, I, I still think this is the best team. I don't think the Ravens are that great. I don't think the bills are that great. And I think you'll see down the stretch that, you know, the Chiefs offense still has its issues. It's still not the same old Chiefs offense it has been in the last two years. And I don't think that the defense, until it, it does it consistently, you can't put your trust in that defense. Here's what I know. The Tennessee Titans have the best defense in the AFC, in my opinion, week in and week out. Consistently doing something that you're just like, whoa, I cannot believe this defense has turned around so great. The offense has its issues. But its issues mainly deal with health. And eventually, you're going to get a few players back, and a few players are going to get healthy. And you're going to see this team continue to be one of the best teams in AFC, especially with this schedule coming up. I'm still not concerned about this team at all. No, no. And, I mean, they can lose two out of the next six and still have a 55% chance of having the buy if they win – one more out of that group. They win five out of six and they have the first round by including losing against the Patriots. There is a scenario to where they can lose against either the Patriots or the Steelers and still have the first round by, but the only reason why I'm throwing all this at you is for, for fans to understand that like, not only is your, your team is not about to just limp into the playoffs and barely get a wild card. They are still the best team in the AFC and they've got a bye week coming up that, again, we started this season off by saying that this was probably going to be a beneficial buy for them. This might be the best case scenario bye week for a team that needs it more than any other. You give this team two weeks to get healthy and then have to make a five-run game to the playoffs, this actually could end up in the favor of the Titans very, very heavily. So 
shut the hell up, <laughs> stop freaking out, because the next one I'm going to bring up and the last one we're going to discuss is the one that frustrates me the most. Ryan Tannehill sucks. He's regressed. You can't do anything about it. And it's this is mainly coming from, I can tell this is mainly coming from the Mariota stands that just can't let go. I, I, I'm going to get into a whole thing about Ryan Tannehill, but this one really bugs me the worst, Zach. Well, they gave they gave Marcus, you know, four four to five years to to, and they can't give him a few games. Like you know, spare me. You know, I I still think Ryan Tannehill is the Ryan Tannehill that you've seen. Yes, he's had a bad year, but there there is no there has been no consistency on this offense week in and week out. I've been been banging the drum all all year about this is that this team has lacked consistency on offense week in week out. It seems like that's always, there's always something going on with the offense. There's always a new cast of characters that had come in. I mean, it's like rebooting the same TV show numerous times. It's like American horror story, right? Same, same premises. They're all like horror stories, right? But it's always new, new actors or the same actors, just in new roles. And that's what I feel like this, this team is. And this offense is, and eventually they they have to find consistency. But you're still talking about a guy that this team still put up 400 yards of offense. I can't get over that. I cannot get over how fluky that is that this team put over 400 yards of offense, and just because of those four turnovers, which you can say that two are on Dez and two are on Tannehill. Sure, but they're all bad decision making. He just had his worst game. And if that's his worst game, you're more than likely going to regr- you're going to regress back to where he was before this game, and you're going to have a guy that maybe throws one bad throw. I just I would like a game where he doesn't throw one head scratching throw. Put it put two together, and I'll be happy. Put two back to back, and I'll be happy. It's going to be hard against this Patriots defense, but this Patriots defense is beatable. We we haven't really talked about this Patriots game. Let, let me just go through this real quick. They're they're not that good, in my opinion. Now, listen, they're playing really, really good, sound football. But they've also have not played the greatest of competition. They lost to Tampa Bay. They lost to New Orleans. They lost to Miami. And they lost to Dallas. They have wins. Listen, wins against the Jets, two of them. A win against the Texans. A win against the Chargers, who are not that great. A win against the Panthers when Sam Darnold played for them and they weren't that good. A win against the Baker Mayfield who has his wife now defending him and saying that you shouldn't boo him and all this stuff. Oh, I thought Odell was the problem, everybody. Wasn't he such a cancer in the locker room? Yeah, give me a break on that. And then they have a win against the Falcons, which they, the defense is carrying this team because that win against the Falcons was, was not that great from an offensive standpoint. Their leading receiver was Nelson Aguilar. Yeah, like spare me that this Mac Jones. Mac Jones is good. I think he, right now yeah. he's currently playing the best football out of all the rookies, and I thought that was going to be the case. But this Titans defense can handle this offense, this New England offense. It's the Tennessee Titans offense that you got to worry about. You really need AJ Brown back, I believe. But even if you don't, I think you can scheme. I think that Mike Vrabel can scheme against his Patriots defense and help the offense as long as they limit mistakes. You have to limit turnovers. I don't think that the Patriots are some AFC powerhouse and they're back. The dynasty's back. No, I'm not buying that right now. And we'll see because, listen, the Patriots have to go against Buffalo after this, the Colts, play Buffalo twice, the Colts. And then they have Jacksonville, Miami. They're going to have a good record, but I think it's much like the Pittsburgh Steelers last year. I think it's a very paper tiger kind of record. It's not that impressive. I'm I'm just uh, it, it, to, my my last piece on Tannehill is this: is that it is so hard to find a franchise quarterback. Generational talents are. are I mean, if you need any more proof out of the Brady era the Aaron Rodgers era of how hard that is fine. Just take a look at those two, right? Russell Wilson is not doing well in Seattle. And if he gets released by Seattle or demands a trade or whatever the hell happens, I think his contract may be up at the end of the next year, but um, that's going to be a bidding war to get that man. If that comes out, 
I'll use the Cleveland Browns. It's funny you bring up the Browns as an example. Whatever you think of Baker Mayfield, the man's out there playing injured, and the fan base is torn between should the team be making him rest versus are they running him out there on purpose? Does he plan to be back, you know, after next year, whatever it is. I use them as an example because they have been notorious about bringing in bad quarterbacks. Ryan Tannehill is your franchise quarterback right now. I'm not saying he's a general generational talent. I'm saying he's your franchise quarterback and a damn good one because you don't have any other options to go out there and chase. You don't have anybody on your bench. Second string quarterbacks are what they are, and you don't have anybody really to go after next year. And well, you sure as hell can't really draft out your way out of it right now. I, I don't see any reason right now to even worry about drafting yeah. a quarterback of the future. There's nothing. I, I really to worry don't. About. I'm I'm sorry. I, I think Ryan Tannehill is going to be here for the remainder of his contract. You still have maybe a year to two years before you got a, an, an additional season or two before you really need to start thinking about it. Like these people mm. are saying tank for Matt Coral. Is it Coral or Corral? I don't think Corral? I've ever heard anybody said his name. I think it's Matt Corral. Yeah. I've, I, I've, it's Matt Corral. The only Ole Miss game I watched was at a bar and I'd never heard anybody say it. So yeah, um, the um, I don't think that. I don't see this 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 idea that that everybody has to get rid of Ryan Tannehill and that he's turned into a pumpkin and all this stuff. I don't buy it. He's still got one of the best EPAs in the league, and he's performing over expectations compared to his surroundings. I I just I don't get it. I I know that we're gonna have to sit through an offseason of the Titans should trade Ryan Tannehill and then you know sign Aaron Rodgers or sign and try to trade for Russell Wilson, all this bullshit. That's never gonna fucking happen. And I'm sick of it. Embrace Ryan Tannehill. I, I he's still the best quarterback option that Tennessee Titans have over the next few years. I will put this out there about the Patriots. We'll wrap this up. I this is, I just don't think the, the national media is doing what they always do with the Patriots about. They've got, they've got the team out of the Northeast to root for again, and they're rooting hard. I mean, there's people out there dropping hints about, you know, is Mac Jones their next, you know, generational find the Patriots are back. They're going to make a Super Bowl run. It's nauseating to see that this is the road we're going down again. You can never discount a Belichick team. I mean, that's for damn sure. But I mean, let's just take a look at the Falcons game real quick that they played again, Nelson Aguilar, the only person on offense who scored a touchdown. Um, he had 40 yards receiving Kendrick Bourne had 42 yards receiving the Patriots defense had four takeaways. They had four turnovers and they turned it into 25 points. What does that sound like? I mean, that sounds like to me, the Texans getting four turnovers and turning it into 22 points against the Titans. That's not a great comparison there. Because the Falcons defense is not that this is just not a good Falcons team. This is a team that the Patriots honestly on paper should have steamrolled. Mac Jones was 22 for 26 at 207 yards. He had a good, very solid, very good game on completions. But I'm just not convinced this team is completely as buttoned up as everybody thinks they are. I, I Nelson Aguilar is Nelson Aguilar. He's not going to have that game every week. And that was only 40 yards out of that man. I just the, the Tennessee Titans have a history now against the Patriots under Mike Vrabel that is a very positive one. And Vrabel knows how to get under the skin of Belichick from a game plan standpoint and actually during the game. What do you see, you know, calling loop around timeouts and all that, just pissing off. This, this um, defense Belichick. can handle the, their, their yes. shit. There, there's <clears> no <throat> doubt about it. This, this, These are two very similar teams right now in their current form, in my opinion. Two really great defenses. And two questionable offenses currently. Now, yep. if AJ Brown comes back, you know that that's going to help. But you know, right now they're very similar, and I'm going to give the edge to the Tennessee Titans because I I think they can create some turnovers on defense where they couldn't do that this past week. I think there is an avenue for them to be able to take advantage against Mac Jones in this offense. Uh, Titans at Patriots noon on Sunday uh, be a good way to wrap up the holiday weekend um oh, much better we than these thanksgiving games they've given us holy shit yeah what a the trash things, they are they're trash That's Andy Dalton versus Tim Boyle Ooh, sign mm, me up god I can't wait uh yeah that's one of those that you just got football on just because it's literally just on and that's it um that's gonna do it for us we hope you all have a good thanksgiving 
go out there and destroy yourselves in Turkey and all that. Um, again, check out all their other podcasts at, uh, for, under the 440 Media Group. And um, that's it. Again, hope you have a good Thanksgiving. We'll be, you know, be here back next week to talk to you uh, post-Patriots reaction. But your team's not out of it. So start acting appropriately on Twitter, okay? For the love of God, can you stop fighting with each other? Just realize your team's doing well. Football and other F-words for Zach and myself. You've just been out. A Broadway Sports Media Production.